Hey, you are tuned into the Bold Church podcast. My name is Yasmin Ruhi. I am one of the lead pastors here. We're so excited that you can join us for today's talk. We hope it blesses you. We hope it encourages you. And if you find it useful, go ahead and send it to someone else whose day you can bless. If you want to join us, we meet live every Sunday morning. If you want to find out our times or where we're meeting, head to our website at bold.church or head to our Instagram at boldchurch. SV. Thank you so much and enjoy today's talk. If we have not met, not met, my name is Ali. My wife and I, we started this place called Bull Church five years ago. And uh, the reason why I mentioned that is because this is week six in our miracle building. Come on, can we get excited? Woo! Let me give you context for, two, for five years. Five years, a team of 30 or 40 crazy Christians who I tricked to show up at 7 a.m., right? We would show up with two 25-foot trailers, and for three or four hours, we would set up, and then we'd ask Mary Poppins to show up, and bippity-boppity-boo, everything would be set up for us. No, it was, it was the dream team. Can we get up for the dream team for their hard work for the last five years? And sometimes we forget the price, the sacrifice that we had to pay to get this building. And I just want, as a moment, I don't want to lose the wonder of what God did. Can we just thank God loudly as a church? Come on! Man, I don't want ever to get old what God did because we are standing in six weeks of a miracle. Uh, let me do some quick announcements. Uh, it's on the screen. Last week, groups launched. Amazing. Who's, who, who came to groups last week? Come on. Amen. More than 75% of you. Uh, next week, for those of you that want to call this place your home, right after church, it's our it's our pseudo membership class it's called growth track it's amazing because it not only gives you the vision of the church tells you the why of our church but it helps you discover your spiritual gift your why in life because the two best days of your life are the day you're born everyone celebrates that day and the day you discover your why and then at the end of this month we are celebrating a heavenly party with baptisms come on let me tell you why because 70 of you last year said yes to jesus privately now it's time to go public with that decision and those of you that are parents, a lot of you, it's a great time to do child dedications as well. Come on, let me uh, quickly transition to, we are in a collection of talks called Killer Church, and we are doing a collection of talks through this book, talking about why is our faith in America dying? Why, why is it that when I read the scriptures, when I read the Bible, that the epicenter, the center of faith, the center where I connect most with God is not on a hiking trail, you know, in Yosemite, it's not in my prayer closet, it's the church. That often what is central to Christ is peripheral to us. What God wants us to magnify him, because he inhabits the praises of his people, is often irrelevant to us. And maybe the way we're doing faith is killing our faith, not building it. And I'm just letting you know that these three weeks, the first three weeks of this collection of talks, are going to be like, punch you in the throat, punch you in the eye, and... You're going to feel very, like, very in your face. And last week I preached for almost 45 minutes on sin, and no one left the church, thank God, and we did it in a fun way. And today I'm going to challenge you with a, a monumental question, that the answer to this question will determine how you view God, will determine how you view yourself, how you do marriage, how you do sex, how you handle suffering, how you even perceive the hope and future for tomorrow. And the, the, really the question is, why should I trust the Bible? Why should I trust the Bible? I remember the very first Bible that I owned on the cover were these two Latin words, Vox Dei. 
And that's actually the title of today's sermon, which means voice of God. And to speak to all the Gen Zers in the room, we're going to deconstruct the Bible today for you. But we're going to build it back up in Jesus' name. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm ready. To the one that you abandoned and didn't talk to you at church, say, even though I forgot you the first time, are you ready? Let me quickly pray and we shall begin. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank God that your word is active and alive. Sharper than any double-edged sword. God, a sword may cut my flesh, but your word cuts my heart. A fist may give me a bruise, Lord, but your word can touch the depths of my soul that I hide behind clothes, behind cars, behind makeup. God, you, you see the innermost depths of my heart, Jesus, and you still love me, and you still call me into relationship. God, reveal to me this word that, is it true? Is this what you want me to read? Is this what you want me to trust? Because I want to look more like Jesus. I want to talk more like Jesus. I want to love more like Jesus. And if you believe that, everybody said, Amen. everybody said, Amen. come on, bold tradition. We get it loud before the sermon begins. Can we give you, come on. Before we get into the why of why you should trust the Bible, I want to tell you two verses of what the Bible says about itself. Because every week I get up on, on this stage and I, I usually begin the sermon with a, reading a text and then I pray. I didn't do that today. Because I got like 20 texts I got to give you. But every week I make this assumption, and maybe some of you don't have this assumption, that I make this assumption that this is God's word. And maybe for you it's not, why doesn't he read this book? Why doesn't he read that book? And, and your perception of the Bible determines your life and how you live it out. Let me tell you what the Bible says about itself. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, all scripture is God breathed. Someone say all scripture. All of it. The parts that you like, the parts that you don't like, the part that offend you, the part that makes you feel all warm and cuddly inside, right? Often what we do, we take the parts where the Bible whispers and we shout, and the parts where the Bible shouts, we whisper. Let me give you an example of that. The Bible mentions that God is love two times, and yet you think that's the central theme, the central most repeated phrase in the, in the scripture, because everyone on Instagram is like, oh my God, God's love, oh. And yet... The wrath of God is mentioned 800 times. The holiness of God is mentioned 600 times. Why? Because as a people, we love to whisper where God shouts, and we love to shout where God whispers. And this saying, all of it, even the parts that offend you, even the parts that you don't like, even the parts that you're embarrassed to tell your friends about, all of it's from God. And then he says, not only is it all from God, Psalms 119 verse 86 says, all your commandments are trustworthy. Someone say trustworthy. Not only is it from me, but you can bank your life on it. Let me tell you why it's so important. Gallup is this company that, that studies Christians in America. And for the first time in 40 years, they measured something that has never happened and it happened in 2021. 24% of Christians, these are not people outside the church, 24% of Christians believe this is the literal word of God. Whereas 26% of people think this is just stories and fairies or uh, parables and just like feel-good stories. What does that mean, Pastor? It means that three-fourths of you are idiots. It's okay. We love, we love you. But what it means for the first time in American history, more people think this is just a book of stories than the literal word of God. And let me tell you, who you listen to, it matters. And I know this from a personal experience. My, my dad, when I was 18 years old, began to lose his eyesight. He had glaucoma. Some of it was hereditary. Some of it was, was lifestyle. He, he worked two jobs. Seven days a week, 10-hour days, 12-hour days for almost two decades. The guy worked himself to blindness, literally, what the doctors told me. 
and he began to lose his eyesight. This man, he owned two, he's my father, he owned two homes, two businesses. The medical bills were so high, he had to sell a second home. Then he had to sell the second business. And, and even then, we had to sell the home that we were in. And so my father, after paying off all these medical bills, had four or $500,000 in cash in 1999. Then he had a very close friend, a, a, a man he grew up with. Uh, they had known each other for 50, 60 years. They, they, went to, they went to elementary school together. They were in the same village in Iran. Talk about going way back, right? And this man be, began to get in my father's ear about investing, about trying to strike it rich. And instead of investing in like, secure things, he began to invest in companies that had not yet gotten FDA approval. Crazy. And this man was only investing ten dollars or $15,000 of his money because he wasn't a very good businessman. Yet my father listened to him and began to invest four, five, $600,000 of his hard work cash that he had earned over two decades. Long story short, he lost all of it in 18 months. To say it devastated our family was an understatement. The anger that we felt was not so much on you losing the money. Everybody, people lost money with Bernie Sanders, people lost money with crypto this last year, right? The problem was, why are you, Dad, this great businessman, listening to this guy who can't even wash his car? Who you listen to matters. And what I don't want you to do is just Say, Pastor Al, you just want me to have blind faith, don't you? You want me to close my eyes to the scientists and the, all the college professors? I'm not asking you to have blind faith. It's better than that. After today, I'm going to show you it takes more faith not to believe in this thing than to believe it. Because for 2,000 years, people have been attacking this thing, bringing their hammer and their gun, and their hammer breaks. And their bullets bounce back because this thing is indestructible. Uh, and I thank God that there were some people in our church that used to be part of our church, that did not believe. And I would have almost monthly meetings with them about why this is the word of God, and they would try to convince me it's not. So I wanted this truth quest, reading dozens upon dozens of books. I don't want you to read all those books, so I'm going to give you the top six. This is a great time to pull out your cell phone, because this is like, I took my 20 books that I read, and I condensed it down to six. These books are the resources I read that are the best of the best. These are creme de la creme. Some of you love Jello. My wife loves creme brulee, okay? This is the creme brulee of those books. And uh, the reason why I mention this to you is these men have dedicated their lives, apologists, pastors, to, to recognize where did the word of God come from? Why should we trust it? Is it just another book or something we can build our life on? Amen? And what I want to give you this morning are four reasons, four things that you can place your faith on and we're going to build I'm just going to warn you, it's going to start slow and we're going to end high. You guys ready? Sorry. Are you guys ready? Reason number one on why you can trust the Bible. Because number one, it is historically accurate. Let me just pause for a moment. Some of you have been coming to church for a long time know that I, I speak fast. I use humor. I yell. It sounds like I'm on four Red Bulls because I'm actually on three of them. Right? And today's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a fire hose of information. I'm trying to do my best not to make it sound like a lecture because I hated college. The professor would just sit and read his book. I ain't going to do that today. I'm going to try to give you the word of God in a fresh and powerful way. Amen? But I need you to engage. Some of you need to re- listen to the sermon twice. And actually, this is part two of a sermon I preached at conference, what the, what the Son of God says about the word of God. I had so much content, I needed to divide it into two sermons. This is part two. Are y'all ready? 
Three questions that every historian needs to ask if a book of antiquity is valid. Three questions this is, does it, are there eyewitnesses? Was it copied correctly? And number three, is there archaeological evidence? This is not just the Bible. They do this with Homer's Iliad. They do this with the Koran. Let me give you an example of this. Homer's Iliad was written 1,500 years after the story began. How many times do you think it changed in 1,500 years? Did you know that the Bible was written within 20 years of Jesus' life? Let me tell you, with 100% assurance, I can tell you the Bible was written by eyewitnesses. I have dozens upon dozens of examples. Let me give you four real quick. I would write these down. Moses was at the Red Sea. Moses did not separate the Red Sea and tell some dude who told some dude who told some dude, and then they wrote it down. Moses wrote the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. You can believe it because he was there. And this is like me writing about World War II and saying it didn't happen. Neither did I live in this period, or nor, nor many of the eyewitnesses are not even alive today. Moses didn't write a book about what did happen in the past. He wrote a book that was happening in his own lifetime. Joshua saw the Jericho fall. The disciples were there. Most of the New Testament were, were written by eyewitness testimony. Imagine if, how many of you remember 9-11? Exactly. I, I remember the day waking up. Imagine if I wrote a book that 9-11 didn't happen. They're, the eyewitnesses are alive to say that I'm wrong. When these men wrote these books, the eyewitnesses were still alive. John was there when Jesus was crucified. The Gospels were there when, when written from eyewitness testimony. Let me assure you, the Bible was written from eyewitnesses. It's going to get better. I know this first one's kind of boring. The next one's going to be popping your face amazing. Was it copied and with extreme care? I speak to a lot of deconstructionists, people who question the Bible. This is their argument. Pastor Hallie, they didn't have iCloud back then. Dropbox didn't exist. Come on, Pastor Hallie. I whisper, I love you in someone's ear, and it goes around the room, and it comes back and says, I hate you, go die, right? You ever play that game telephone? It just changes. You trying to tell me the Bible went around history and it came back the same? Come on, Pastor Ali. You can't be that naive. And there's a difference between oral tradition and written tradition. Let me tell you, one of the reasons why God chose the Israelites as his nation was not because they were amazing. They were actually the weakest, smallest people group. See, sometimes in our mind we think of like, like Israel coming and taking over these territories like Rambo with a gun, gunning people down. What you have to realize is Israel is the small guy in your high school that like couldn't chew gum and walk, and he body slams the football captain. How'd that happen? God. That's who God picked. They were the smallest, weakest nation. And one of the reasons why I believe God picked Israel was because they had the best scribes in the world. Because when they copied things, they were the most meticulous people in the world. Let me give you one example that blew my mind studying this. When, 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 when the first five books of the Bible, it's called the Torah, by the way, Genesis, Leviticus, Exodus, De Numbers, and Deuteronomy, they didn't copy it book by book. They copied all five at the exact same time. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, okay did they just paragraph by paragraph? No. Okay, sentence by sentence? No. Word by word. They literally would copy letter by letter. It gets even better. Then they knew what the, the, the middle letter was. And they'd count back 40,000 to the beginning and 40,000 to the end. And if they were off by one, they would throw in the fire and start over. These were the most meticulous copiers in the world. And yet, we have people say, no, 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 it was changed. And there's, there's arguments. Listen, most books of antiquity... There's two or 3,000 copies. The Bible, there are 20,000 copies of the New Testament. 
It is the most reliable, the most trustworthy, the most copied book in human history, and it is by far the most accurate book ever from antiquity saved. But, and I don't know about you, but I like big butts and I cannot lie, okay? That's not the story of the Old Testament. The oldest copy of the Old Testament was 900 years after Jesus. So the haters, they're always going to hate. They were attacking the Christians for almost 2,000 years, saying, listen, Pastor Ali, the Old Testament, it's 900 years after Jesus. We can't rely because Jesus, the Bible that Jesus had was not the Bible that we have. Because Jesus, he, he quoted the Old Testament. 29 of the, of the 39 books of the Old Testament, Jesus mentioned. 75% of the Old Testament, Jesus would talk about. And the question for many centuries was, do we have the same Old Testament that Jesus had? And then God in his sovereignty silences the haters, which he always does. In 1948, a Bedouin, which is a, a political correct term for a homeless Middle Eastern, um, he falls into a cave on the north shore of the, and he found what are commonly referred to as the Dead Sea Scrolls. He falls in this cave, and it's basically a library of books. Amazing. Not only did they find copies of the New Testament that went back even earlier than they ever had, but they found copies of the Old Testament. Listen, a hundred years before Jesus was born. And then they overlaid those two copies the one from 100 years before Jesus and the one 900 years after Jesus that we had, and they were exactly the same. Listen, Bull Church, you can trust this thing. Not only is it written by eyewitness accounts, but listen, it is copied with extreme care. Number Question number three, does it have archaeological confirmation? The argument that you will hear often and it's dying more and more is, Pastor Ali, the Bible talks about this place. We've never found that place. That means the Bible's lying. That used to be the case. That is no longer the case. In fact, it's the opposite. Whenever the Bible talks about a place and we haven't found it, it leads archaeologists to go, look, because this thing's never been wrong. Let me, let me show you an example of this. Uh, show up this next slide, archaeological confirmation. These are examples of places that the Bible mentioned that no one in human history had found. And after they found them, they're like, oh my gosh, the Bible didn't lie. The theater in Athens, the pool in Siloam, Herod's temple, the book of Acts alone, listen, has 39 countries, 54 cities, and nine islands. And every single one of them was found after they referenced the Bible and found them in an archaeological dig, which means every single one of these things was substantiated through archaeology proving the Bible. Let me read this, this quote by Nelson Gluck. It may be stated categorically that no, someone say no, no. archaeological discovery. That, what he's saying is I've spent my entire life, this is, this is my life. Some of you ball is life, archaeology is my life, right? He's saying I spent my whole life, I went to school, went to Got a PhD. My whole life, I have found thousands upon thousands of artifacts. Not one has ever proven the Bible wrong. Listen, and I know in our culture, we have fake news. We have influencers that are like selling you products. Remember that liver king dude who's like, yeah, just eat liver and you'll, you'll be amazing. Turns out he's on drugs. He's on steroids, right? That doesn't exist in the world of science. You fake news, you lose your credentials. This man is putting his name, his career on the line, saying, I've spent my life looking at archaeology. We've never, I dare you to find one that disproves this. Can I tell you, it gets even better. For 2,000 years, like I said, the haters are always going to be drunk on haterade. They were hating. For 2,000 years, there was a city mentioned in the Bible called the Hittites. Someone say the Hittites. 
It's AKA for the Lakers, Hittites. These are God's enemies. They're mentioned multiple times through the scriptures. For 2,000 years, they never found the Hittites. And the argument was this. The Bible talks about these people in these places, and we've never found it. What else is the Bible lying about? In the 19th century, a dude, thank you, Jesus, for Google. I know Gen Z is trying to replace Google with ChatGPT. I'm still old school. Going to Google. A dude by the name of Hugo Winkler. He found the capital of the Hittite nation. They found books. They found scribes. To the point where they said, oh my gosh, the Bible's right. Maybe the Bible knows more about archaeology than we do. And look what the historian William Albright says. There can be no doubt that archaeology has confirmed the substantiated history of the Old Testament tradition. There have been over 25,000 archaeological discoveries that substantiate the validity of Scripture. What's he saying? Every time we find something, we go back and we're like, the Bible's right. The Bible's right. Number one, church, you can trust the Bible because it is historically accurate. Can we build on it, though? Everyone gets better and better. Number two, you can trust the Bible because it is scientifically accurate. And this one, was the, for me, personally, was the hardest. Because when I was 18 years old, my dad, if you don't know anything about Middle East or Asian culture, you're the firstborn son. You basically walk on water, right? It's crazy. Dad held a gun to my head, said, what do you want to be, doctor, lawyer, or engineer? I said, Mohandas, which is Farsi for engineer. He said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. See, Jesus heard those things before he did anything good. I had to earn it with an engineering degree. That's why I'm all jacked up. Pray for me. But I, I grew up in, a, in an era that, that, that says, I believe in science. Remember Napoleon Dynamite, the, the fat guy? I believe in science. That's the prevailing thought of our culture, that the science and the Bible, they contradict each other. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing. Listen, I, I know we have, we have podcasts. We have people publishing books. Bro, you can publish a book on Amazon. You don't even, you don't even need a high school degree you can publish a book. It, it costs 20 bucks to buy a microphone, and it's free 99 to put a podcast out there. Trust the source, because who you listen to, it matters. Let me tell you that. It, it, what's so funny is that science changes. Science is like, I wish I had a milk carton up here. Science is literally the modern milk carton because it has an expiration date on it. Well, I remember when I was eight or nine years old, maybe some of you relate, we had the President's Challenge, you know, we had to like do all these push-ups and pull-ups, and then they told us, you have to eat the triangle, the four food groups, gluten, bread, meat, and, and it's like, no, there's not one nutritionist that would push, why? Because the science has changed. It, it, even in the last 10 years, I remember when I was in college, like, oh my gosh, don't eat white rice, eat brown rice. And then today, no, 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 eat white rice. It's healthier for you than brown rice. Like, make up your mind. That's science. It's constantly changing. Uh, the, the Louvre in Paris, they collect old science textbooks because the science, text, science is constantly evolving and changing. And they have, listen, 3.5 miles of old science books that have changed. Because what you and I learned in the third grade, if we were to open up that book, we would laugh. They tell medical students, their first year, we have some nurses that are part of our church. If you, medical students, when they're in medical school, year one, the, doc, the, the, the professors say, hey, what you learn in this year, listen, will change by the year you graduate. That's how fast the medical industry is changing. Why? Because science changes. 
My question for you is, do you want to put your life in your eternity on something that's changing every 20 years or something that is eternal and has not changed ever? Amen? Let me give you three examples of why the Bible. Let me say this. The Bible is not a science book. If you want to build a bomb or a rocket, go read something else. But if you, every time the Bible talks about science, it is 100% accurate. And here's the reason why I know it is. Thousands of years before scientists discovered the why, the Bible talked about it. Let me give you three. Number one, the, for thousands of years, 1,500 to be exact, people believed that the earth was flat. Then some dudes named uh, Galileo, Columbus, Magellan were like, wait a minute, maybe it's not. And they began to explore the world. They began to do experiments that show that, you know, the, the, the light bends. You actually do this experiment. Have two six-foot doors, put them two or three footballs apart, and then shine a laser. And the laser bends as it gets to the second door. Why? Because the earth is curved. They didn't know this until the 15th century. But if they had gone back to the 20, 2,700 years ago and read the words of Isaiah... Before any scientist said this, Isaiah said this. He sits enthroned above the circle. Someone say circle, circle of the earth. That word circle is better translated sphere. How in the world did the Bible, which we've already shown is the same Bible from 4,000 years ago, how did it know that the world was circle? Maybe the God who created the world wrote that verse. What about the world? How is it being suspended in the air? Let me show you three civilizations that were super smart. The Greeks invented the democracy. Hindus, they invented amazing Indian food. I don't know what they invented. And the Egyptians, you ever watched uh, the Discovery Channel? They, they literally think the pyramids are so advanced before science that aliens helped them build it. Because like, how, how, how are they so advanced? This is not what people held. This is what scientists said, how the world is being... The, the Greeks thought some dude on TRT was holding the world on his shoulders. I know Sohel and Gerson are not here today. They're extremely strong. I don't care how much steroids are on. You can't hold this up. And then my favorite, the Hindus believed Snuffleupagus. Stood on the back of the sea turtle from Nemo. Bro, I love the waves, bro. And then he stood on the serpent from the Jungle Book. Is this a Disney movie or is this science? An elephant standing on a sea turtle, standing on a serpent, that held up the world. Scientists believed that for thousands of years. Egyptians believed five pillars did that. And yet, all you had to do was go back 3,000 years to the oldest book of the Bible. And a man named Job. Some of you are new to church. It's spelled Job. It's not. His name is Job. And let me tell you why it's the oldest book in the Bible. Genesis is not the first book of the Bible. It's the first chronological book, but the oldest book in the Bible is Job. And he says, as he sprout the northern skies above the empty space, he suspends, someone say suspends, the earth over nothing. How in the world did man write that 3,000 years before scientists discovered that? Maybe the God who suspended the world had something to do with that verse. Maybe, maybe God is trying to give us blues clues that no man could have written this book. One more, and this one's a fun one. For thousands of years, they, they did not know how many stars were in the sky. Show up this next slide. There's a dude named Hipparchus. I think it, Hipparchus. He, he, he spent some time, and he counted 850 stars. And the, medical, the science community said, oh my gosh. They gave him a golf clap. You're amazing. 850. Then about... 
300 years later, a guy named Ptolemy, thank you God for Google to tell me how to pronounce these so you don't think I'm public school educated. He said, no, 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 it's not 850, it's 1022. And again, the science community gave him a golf clap, you're amazing. Then when I was in school, I remember, I remember a Hubble telescope. They sent a, literally a, a telescope into outer space for it to never to return. And it's still going, and it's still sending back pictures and data right now. And the point of this telescope was, what if we spent a, a telescope in the outer space to see the ends of the universe? Because we thought, maybe it's just the Milky Way. And they realized there's billions and billions of galaxies. And they go, what's beyond that? And they go, our telescope doesn't tell us. Today, scientists say, we can't count it. But all they had to do was go to a 17-year-old boy who was filled with the Spirit of God 600 years before Jesus. And he wrote this in Jeremiah 33. And that the stars of the sky cannot be counted. Church, you can trust the Bible. Because it is historically accurate and scientifically accurate. Amen? Amen. We just build in. Y'all ready for the next two? Number three, you can trust the Bible because it is prophetically accurate. <clears throat> prophetically. The Bible, one-third of the Bible is prophetic in nature. Prophetic about what? The testimony of Jesus. There are 300 prophecies that Jesus alone fulfilled in his lifetime. What are those, some of those prophecies, Pastor Ali? They're not like generic, like he's going to be a dude, he's going to have a beard, he's Middle Eastern, so he has a big nose. No, no, no. Like specific things. Let me show you four of those things that are super, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Let me tell you why that's so important. I was born in El Camino Hospital. My sister was born at Stanford Hospital. I'm jealous that she was born at Stanford and I wasn't. Let me tell you, babies don't pick where they're born. The mama does. How can a baby determine the city he's born in? Unless God determined it. Escape to Egypt. Let me just pause for a moment. I got a rant to pick. Have you been watching these uh, commercials? He's one of us. Jesus was a refugee. Let me just pause on that stupidity, okay? Egypt was part of Rome. This is like me driving to Texas saying, oh my gosh, we're in a different country. It does feel like a different country because it's America. It's a red state. Those are very different than blue states, Okay. Rome owned Egypt. He never left the country. He just switched states and refugees. I know them. I went to an Iranian Christian church for 20 years, 10 years, forgive me. They left and they're never going back. Egypt, Jesus went back. Refugees don't go back. Can we just stop this nonsense that Jesus was a refugee? He was not. I'll get off my soapbox. Thank you, Jesus. He rode a donkey and this one is the one that blows my mind. David, King David, wrote the Psalms a thousand years before Jesus. And he wrote a, that the Messiah would die, listen, by crucifixion. So not only did he predict his death, but listen, this is crazy. Crucifixion wasn't invented for another 600 years. We, we love when Babe Ruth called his shot. Jesus called his, his shot by execution, and the mode of execution hadn't even been invented yet. Only God, this is better than Babe Ruth, bro. Only God can do that. Only God. Now watch this. There's a dude named Peter Stoner. I know some of you love that last name. Relax, okay? He's probably from San Jose. Peter Stoner. He's a, he's, a, he's a mathematician. And he wanted to take the 300 prophecies of Jesus. And he, what he did is he invited 100 of, of the top 
mathematicians in the country, and they got together and they nerded out. And they said, what is the probability that Jesus fulfilled eight of the 300? And they came up with this number. That's a big number. And for those of you that didn't get a minor in math, let me, let me explain what this number means. Imagine in your brain, this, this whole stage is the state of Texas. We would cover the ground with silver dollars. Just, the, just one inch, Pastor Ali, no, no, no. We're going to cover the, the floor of Texas two feet high with silver dollars. And one out of that, I, can't even know, I don't even know what that number is. One out of that number, we're going to drop a golden silver dollar. Then we're going to get one of you, we're going to blindfold you, spin you around six times. And then you get to walk in any direction you want, blindfolded. And you're going to reach down into two feet of silver dollars, and you have to find the golden ticket. And if you find it, that's the probability that Jesus fulfilled eight. Listen, that's impossible. What Peter Stoner, this mathematician, was saying is that no one in human history could pot. It's impossible. Jesus is God. This mathematician, who was not a Christian, was saying the fact that he did these things and determined where he was born, this is beyond. This is, he, he didn't have the language. It's prophetic, bro. Babe Ruth called his shot. Jesus called his shot, too. That's only it. What happens if we get to 48 of the... That number is more than the atoms in the universe. <laughs> I wrote it down like this. It takes more faith to believe this thing isn't from God than it does to believe that it is. It's prophetically accurate in a way that no human could possibly predict. Norman Geiser wrote this quote. If an omniscient God exists who knows the future, then predictive prophecy is possible. And if the Bible contains such predictions, then they are a sign of its divine origin. Is that not so good? Look what the Bible says about itself. 2 Peter verse 1. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God. Someone say, from God, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God saying, I did this. I stood at home plate, and I pointed, and I said 300 times these things are going to happen, and the only way it's possible is if God did it. And today we have a culture that is deconstructing things in our culture. We're tearing down the police, we're tearing down social barriers, but we're also trying to deconstruct the Bible. And the problem with deconstruction is if you're going to tear it down, build it back up. And I've spoken to so many deconstructionists. I go, hey, 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 what's your argument against the Bible? Well, I can't possibly believe in Jonah. Well, I can't possibly believe in Noah. I wrote it down like this. Maybe this will help you. The Bible is not a book of things that are humanly possible. The Bible, because the Bible is a book where you place your faith in Jesus and a virgin birth is more impossible than Jonah. A bodily resurrection is more impossible than Noah. This book is not about things that are humanly possible. This book is about things that are only possible with God. Only possible. It's not trying to win you over with logic. This is a supernatural book by a supernatural God. It is historically accurate, it is scientifically accurate, and it is prophetically accurate. And the argument so, people, so many people make today is, we're going to get new information, Pastor Ali. Just give it like five years. Scientists will discover it will be like brown rice. We won't want to eat it anymore. We won't want to read the Bible anymore. And that's the, the number one argument. Just wait. I'm going to neglect this thing for right now because one day this will be disproven. 
And my fear for you is you won't just empty your bank account, you'll empty your soul. Because who you listen to, it matters. Let me give you two examples that this is not something new. What the deconstructionists are saying today, they've been saying for 2,000 years. What happens is people forget and the devil tries to bring up back the same lie. It's like whack-a-mole. It just keeps coming back. <laughs> Let me show you this verse or this, this story. In 1861, a French Academy of Science wrote a book, and I use quotes, air quotes, a scientific facts of why the Bible is wrong. Within 100 years, the scientists prove that all 51 of them are actually true, validating the Bible. You can attack the Bible, but the Bible never loses. Let me give you one more. A dude by the name of Voltaire. Maybe some of you took a random college class that had no effect on your life, but you had to pay $500 for it per unit. It's okay. We'll pray for you. We'll grieve with you. But there's a dude named Voltaire. And he was a, a, a very wise thinker of the 18th century. And he was famous in the 18th century for writing this quote. Within 100 years, the Bible will be forgotten. If I could just flex for Jesus for a moment, the only thing that we have forgotten is your, your dumb quote, okay? <laughs> you can trust the Bible because it is historically accurate, it is scientifically accurate, and it is prophetically accurate. And look what the Bible says about itself in 1 Peter 1, verse 24. All people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field, which means it's temporary. The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Come on. There's a lot of noise on social media, especially on TikTok, saying, don't believe. Oh my gosh, that's so archaic. The smartest minds in human history have attacked this thing, and they've all lost. Don't trust that dude on TikTok who has a nice camera. <laughs> Number four, we can trust the Bible. Because Jesus trusted it. What's so heartbreaking for me as a pastor and my wife and I, we talk about this all the time. We have Christians that come to church like, I love Jesus. I just don't know about that book. I, I, I believe he died on a cross for me, Pastor Ali. There's just some parts of this that surely it's outdated. There's no way, God, I'm down for Jesus. I'm just not down for that book. And there's this tension. There's this gap. But when you look at Jesus, there was no gap. He trusted it. And whatever he trusts, I want to trust. Look what he says in Luke chapter 24. And beginning with Moses, if you've never heard that phrase, Moses is referencing the Torah because he wrote the first five books of the Bible. He's talking about beginning with the first five books of the Bible and all the prophets, which is the rest of the Old Testament. He interpreted them in all the scriptures. All of it. Jonah, Noah, Sodom and Gomorrah, the parts that we're embarrassed to talk about in church. He took all of the Bible and interpreted the things concerning himself. Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth has passed away, not an iota. Someone say iota. iota. Not a dot. I remember I had to research this because I was like, what in the world does that mean? This is the equivalent of like crossing your T's and dotting your I's. Iota is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. He's saying every period, every comma in the Bible has meaning. Come on. All of it. 
until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all of it is accomplished. The number one argument I hear, put this next slide up, is, Pastor Al, you can't possibly believe Adam and Eve. What's crazy is that Jesus mentioned these people. Not like cartoons that he watched, things he actually believed in. He mentioned Jonah, not as a, a fairy tale or a parable, but a real person who spent three days in a fish. Noah, I can't even get my kids to get in the car. How did Noah get all the animals in a boat? That's one of the greatest miracles we've never talked about. It takes me an hour to get my kids to put their shoes on and get in the car. Jesus knew these were supernatural and impossible with humanity. But this is not a book about humanity and what it's capable of doing. This is a book about God and what he's capable of doing. So let me remind you as a church, let me read you this phrase. We believe in Jesus. Someone say Jesus. We are a Jesus-centered, Jesus-preaching, Jesus-worshiping church. Whatever Jesus believes, we believe. Therefore, we believe in what he believed in. Let me show you this next slide. Because he believed in the Bible, so do we. Let me answer the question that many of you are asking. So what? So so what if I believe the Bible, Pastor? I'm going to go home, and my husband and I are still going to yell each other on the way home. I'm still going to have a bank account that does not have a comma in it. I'm still addicted, Pastor Ali. Pastor Ali, the reason why I'm at church, I'm I'm afraid of saying this out loud, I'm struggling with depression. I can't tell anyone. So what if the Bible is perfect and good? How does that change my life? I'm so thankful that you asked. I want to give you some hope. I want to give you this, this sentence I want you to copy down. Because the Bible is trustworthy, if you get this truth in your mind, God can get this, the word in your heart. And listen, the benefit happens after you believe, not before. You have to magnify God, and then you taste and see that he's good. you got to trust the scriptures, and then it transforms you. It takes faith. Faith. If there's one slide I need you to take your phone out and copy is this. Some of you think you're an accident. Some of you think that your mistakes define you. You are, God knew you, your name, your skills. He determined where you lived. Your parents may have picked the hospital. God determined the year and the city you were going to be born in. God says, I want to be with you. I don't tolerate you. I love you. I will get you through this, through your cancer, through your sickness, through your lack. Heaven is for, if God is for you, who can be against you? I have a plan for your life. Even if you don't have one, I got one. Come to me. Let me tell you what it is. I will never leave you. You may feel lonely. You may feel like you have no friends, but you have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. His name is Jesus. There's a victory for you. I died not so you can live the get-by life, but the victorious life in Christ. How much do I love you? I died on a cross to pay what you, the mistakes that you made. That's how much I love you. A friend may, may lay his life down for another close friend, but God died for his enemies. Think about that. Think about, you know when you join a gang, you have to prove how devoted you are to the gang. So you know what they do? They jump you. And after they beat the snot out of you, then they go, oh, he's proven it. He can be with one of us. Do you know what God did so that you can join him? He didn't have you get beat up. 
he allowed himself to die. And he says, this is how much I love you. I want to be your God. Will you be my people? God says, I love you now. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Not when you improve, not when you change, now. Life with, with me is for you. We need you to stand. There's one overarching thing I want you to walk away with is to trust this more. Not to believe in TikTok and some random professor who wrote a book. It's a paperweight. Because thousands of scientists, thousands of historians have attacked and attacked and they've all lost. But the benefits of this book won't happen until you believe. So with your eyes closed, your head bowed, I want you to just repeat after me. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. It's inspired. It's good. It's perfect. And it benefits my life. May I treasure it the way that Jesus did. May I believe it the way that Jesus did. May I never be the same. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name. Before we continue, if I can just get every eye closed and every head bowed. There's some of you in this room that you need to apologize to God. You do your business with him. Some of you, you mock the Bible. You're embarrassed by the Bible. There are parts that you don't even want to talk about with relatives because you, you'd be embarrassed if they knew that you actually believed that. And I want to give you hope this morning that you can stand on the scriptures with faith, not blind faith, historical, scientific faith. I believe. I believe, Jesus. I'm sorry I didn't believe. And there's some of you in this room. We're so thankful that you're here. We, we love that you would come explore faith with us. But God didn't want to give you a book. He wanted to give you himself. He wants a relationship. The book is meant to bring you to him. Jesus says in John chapter 5, you study the scriptures hoping that in them you find life. But they point to me. The Bible is a vehicle. When I trust it, it takes me to Jesus. And Jesus is the living God. And he showed his love for you, not by giving you a book, by leaving heaven, being born of a virgin, living a sinless and perfect life. And the good news is he didn't just die on a cross for your sin on Friday, he resurrected. And I believe in the Bible because the tomb is empty and there's news to tell. I don't believe in Jesus because the Bible tells me to. I believe in the Bible because Jesus conquered death and he believes it. And no one in human history has conquered death. And that God died to have a relationship with you. And the way that he speaks to you is through the word but you have faith in him, in the living God. And maybe for some of you, this is a holy moment with every eye closed and every head bowed. If you have never prayed to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, I would love to do that honor with you. On the count of three, would you just shoot your hand up? Just so I know I'm praying with you. You're not joining this church. You're saying yes to the living God. On the count of three, one, two, three. If that's you this morning, would you just shoot your hand up? Amen. Repeat this prayer in your heart. 
or else say it out loud, all of us. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven for me. Thank you, Jesus, for living the life I didn't live and then dying the death I should have died. Thank you, Lord, for your free gift of salvation. I repent. I turn from my sin. And I worship you. I place my faith in you. As much as I understand now, I want to follow you all the days of my life. Would you give me your Holy Spirit as part of my inheritance? And thank you, Lord, that you've already given me your word that will lead me and guide me in the path of righteousness. And if you believe that everybody said, amen. Hey, thank you so much for listening today. If you want to follow us on social media and just stay up to our current events, our social media handle is Bold Church SV. That's Bold Church SV for Silicon Valley. We hope you stay blessed and we'll see you soon. Thank you.